So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they've picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, I'm here with Erica Holthausen, who is a writer and editor who's worked with several private companies, professional associations, I say I say several, I mean numerous actually, uh, and industry trade journals. Uh, she's also the founder of uh, Catchline Communications, which is an authority building consultancy where she coaches clients through the process of writing articles for high visibility publications. So obviously very relevant to us here. Her clients manage to secure bylines in prestigious media outlets, including Entrepreneur, Inc., Fast Company, insider and uh, plenty more. So Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show and joining us today. It's absolutely my pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So a little bit of a disclaimer, uh, Eric and I know each other through an online networking group. Actually, it was uh, two previous guests on the show, uh, Michael Roderick and Jason Van Orden, who basically managed to sort of pair podcast guests with uh, podcast hosts. Uh, so it was lovely to meet you there. And I've attended uh, one of your workshops as well online. Yeah, which is great fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely uh, talk about that in a bit. But first of all, Erica, why don't you tell us about, you know, a unique approach, tip, tool, or strategy that you think other consultants should really know about? Um, maybe they don't. So I think we all know that we should be doing this, but I don't think, especially when we are solo professionals, I don't think we always make the time to do it. And that is to carve out some time for deep work, for writing, for thinking. Really, it's for thinking. I think writing happens to be an amazing tool to help you with the thinking piece. And reading, reading about things that are in your industry. When I first, my very, very first career, I was an attorney. uh, And one of my partners said, I want you to read at least 30 minutes every day about something in your field. And it was a great way to get me up to speed, having a clue what the heck was going on. I think it's one of those things that it's very easy to forget, or it's easy for it to fall off our radar screen because we get busy. But carving out that time for deep work is it would be not my number one tip and reminder that, yes, it actually is incredibly important. Oh, great. I can definitely relate to what you're saying in terms of it's something that I tend to, you know, it falls down the list. I basically deprioritize it. So I'm kind of curious, like, what does your, what is your process around that look like? Do you basically calendar block or do you, or is it something else? So I'm curious. What, what? Yeah, we have great intentions, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I started about a year ago now, I started calendar blocking, which really changed the way I operate my business. And I schedule out a 90 minute block first thing in the morning, because that's when my brain actually works best. And I, to the extent possible, I get on as few applications as possible. So I probably need to be on my computer, but I don't open email. I don't open LinkedIn. I don't open anything else. I try to plan the night before to say, okay, 90 minutes tomorrow, this is what we're working on or thinking about or wrestling with. And I will spend that 90 minutes doing that kind of work. I'm not a big social media person. I have the dumbest smartphone you've ever seen because I have nothing on it. It takes phone calls and gets text messages and that's about it. And a lot of that was really intentional because I enjoy, I love reading. I love listening to 
a bunch of different podcasts. I love getting that new information in. So I've very intentionally made time so that I can do those things. Fantastic. And speaking of podcasts, books, and other inputs, is there any particular resource that you uh, you think of if I asked you, you know, what, what's been a, a book that's had a really big impact on, on you professionally? Yeah, so I'm bad with rules. So I'm going to name three <laughs> instead of one. Okay. Um, because these have changed the way I do business. So the first mm. is Deep Work by Cal Newport. That's where this whole idea of focused intentional effort comes from. And that was the first book to really change how I function during my day, how I plan my day, how I how I run my business. Um, the second was Mir Eyal, Indistractable, very much follows in line with some of the stuff in Deep Work, but he goes into even more detail about calendaring out your day. Um, some of his advice I ignored because <laughs> I'm stubborn, but <laughs> for my work day, it really, really helped me think about, okay, you can't be distracted by something if you don't have an intention for that time. And the third one is Playing Big by Tara Moore. It's written primarily for women, but I think anybody who has that little hitch that happens when we start stepping up onto a bigger stage and getting our name out there more and really wanting to do something that has a bigger impact, that like bit of fear, that's that's a big part of what she addresses. So those three books in this past year have just hugely influenced how I do the thing I do. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, you know, those are words from a voracious reader. Um, you know. <laughs> yes. Which is why my public library is probably my favorite thing ever on the face of the planet. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And switching from sort of books to to um, you know sort of your network, I'm curious: is there any any particular person that comes to mind? If I say you know who is is there someone that's had a big impact on on you personally or professionally? Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a hard question because there are so many people in so many different ways. So, somebody who I have looked to because she is so brilliant with this whole idea. She works in a very similar field to me. It's Dory Clark. Hmm. Um, she is so brilliant when it comes to how do you stand out? How do you, you know, she just wrote a book called The Long Game. She writes for Harvard Business Journal. A lot of her work is related to this exact thing. How do we build our authority as experts? How do we really, how do we really make sure that what we were, are putting out into the world, A, is worth other people's time, and B, is getting us the recognition that we actually want. So I, I have a great amount of respect and admiration for her. So she's one of the people who I, who I follow regularly. Um, Jason Van Orden, I think you had him on the show earlier. He is, he's my coach and has been invaluable in helping mm. me figure out how to structure things. And then it's the quirky stuff. I'm a big fan of don't stay in your lane in terms of when it comes to learning, inspiration for our own businesses can come from the most unlikely sources. So I am a voracious reader. I read everything. I read rather chaotically. I usually have three books, you know, three to five books going on at once. And it's, you know, you'll read something in a completely different context and it'll be, huh that's a really interesting idea. I wonder if that could apply over here. 
So reading YA, listening to podcasts like On Being, because Krista Tippett brings in all of these people from so many different places. So it's not just about business. And then because I'm also a writer, I follow certain writers who I just have a mad respect for. Um, Cal Newport being one, I always know when he's coming out with a new book because you can see what he's writing about in terms of articles change over time. Jamel Bowie is a writer for the New York Times. He's an incredible writer and he often shares his process. And that's something that I always enjoy seeing how other writers approach different things because we can always refine our own approach. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm just thinking about Cal Newport. In my mind, I also think of him as someone who who writes blogs a lot. But blog writing is something when you think about, you know, positioning you as, as an authority, it's something that's less referred to uh, these days. And people think about oh, putting out their own book or guessing on publications, which is obviously your domain. So I'm curious, like, if you could tell us more about how writing for publications you think sits in the, you know, um, well, it's, it's sort of positioned in the, in the landscape, if you will, of writing and why people should maybe consider focusing on that as opposed to others or how, how it's different from other, other forms of, of online publication or in-print publication. Sure. So one of the nice things is it works really, really well with both book writing and with traditional content marketing, writing articles for your own blog, in part because most publications are perfectly happy to have you publish the same article after a waiting period. So Inc., for example, you can publish an article on Inc. They just want to have it exclusively for 10 to 14 days, and then you're allowed to publish it on your own on your own blog. So you don't have to add a ton of work. One of the other things that I love about article writing, and this is one of the things I was referring to when I said, I always know when Cal Newport is working on a new book. Same, same with Dory Clark. You start to see they test their ideas through articles. As they're doing research with different things, they start testing their ideas and playing with it through, through articles. So sometimes you can actually see how their thinking has changed as they've gotten deeper and deeper into the research. But it's a great way to whatever topic it is that you might be writing about for a book, for example, to start exploring that topic and digging deeper and capturing how you think about it. Because it's one thing to read something. It's one thing to take notes about that thing. It's another thing to then say, here's my perspective on it. Here's what I can add to this conversation, or here's where I disagree, which can be equally powerful. So it starts to really help you formulate your own point of view based on the research that you're doing. And that's one of the great things about articles is that because they're shorter, it lets you really kind of dive in and then you can kind of figure out, oh, okay, here's here's where I've changed my perspective a little bit because I have more and you can keep writing. It also starts to build your platform. So if you're already writing a whole bunch about, you know, for example, The Long Game, which is Dory Clark's latest book, people start seeing that and then a book comes out and it's like, oh yeah, I want to get this because I already know that this is something, you know, she's already on top of mind for me about this idea of the long game. So now there's a whole book. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of encompasses a whole sort of body of work in, in essence, right? Yeah. I, I think it also, one of the other pieces with writing is 
And I am completely biased here. So I'll put that, <laughs> I'll put that out there. I think writing is the best thing ever, in part because writing also makes you a better speaker. Because writing forces you to think so clearly, because nobody has body language to to read when you're when you're doing writing. You don't get to answer questions if you were not clear, if you've written an article. So it helps you become a better speaker. It helps you think more deeply. It helps you be more creative. It helps you to test and refine your ideas. Um, it's just one of those things that I think can really help you become a better consultant and do that thing you do even better. And then when you're writing for publications, one of the nice things there is you're reaching an audience that you aren't going to reach on your own personal blog. Even if you have a very popular blog and you have a lot of readers or a huge email newsletter list, there are people that you're not reaching. And these publications have that audience ready and waiting. So that also can really help you plug into some people that you may not be able to reach otherwise. And then that can open new opportunities. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I was I was just thinking to myself, I was curious about, and I know this is the case that, you know, a lot of these online publications, they don't have, you know, they don't have the sort of exclusivity sort of uh, rule where you can only publish on their site and nowhere else. Uh, and that, like you say, they, they sometimes have this sort of typically like a 14-day period where it's sort of like a press embargo in, in essence. It's like we want you to have you know, to publish with us first, but then you can go and publish elsewhere. Why is that the case? I mean, what, wouldn't uh, it, wouldn't some publications just say, no, we're just going to keep all the good stuff for ourselves. Why is it the case that? Great question. So yeah. some, so first, so there are kind of two questions mixed into that. Hmm. So first, why is it the case that we can, that we can publish, we can publish on these different platforms why is that even something that that they're letting us do? And a big part there, magazines have always, always, always relied heavily on advertising revenue uh, for to make their budget. A lot of magazines were very slow to pick up on the fact that the internet was a thing that was not going away and was going to change their entire business model. As advertising moved from the printed page to online, where you could get a lot more bang for your buck, these publications needed to start feeding that advertising revenue dragon. And really what they needed is more and more content in order to get more and more traffic in order to get more and more advertising revenue for those online spaces. That opened up an opportunity for experts to say, hey, I have something that's worth that your readers would really find valuable. And so that was a perfect win-win situation where magazines needed more content in order to get more traffic, in order to get more advertising revenue, could not possibly pay their online staff and their freelancers enough money to create that enough content. And now you have this group of experts who bring their own credibility and their own audience with them who say, yeah, I'd love to write for you because that lets me connect to your audience. So that's sort of the first piece of it is that that's where the opportunity comes from. Now, why they these publications are saying, oh, sure, you can go ahead and publish elsewhere. Um, they want original work when it first comes to them. The SEO benefits 
don't last a huge amount of time. So if you wait 14 days, Google knows it was published here first. Most of them want a link back to the original article when you publish it on your own blog. Mm. So a big part of it is because the SEO benefits, there's not a huge benefit for them to say, oh, no, it has to be exclusive. That being said, there are a couple of publications that do say, nope, you write for us. We own like we own the rights to this content. You cannot publish it elsewhere. Um, but that's there aren't many that do that. A lot of a lot of the publications are perfectly happy to have you syndicate your own content after a waiting period. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if you think about it, oftentimes when someone has a blog article or they they will usually say that has been featured in one of these publications, they will at the bottom usually say this was originally featured in such and such place and the backlink is usually there. So in terms of yeah. SEO, that's good juice for the uh for the original publication and great credibility for you. Yeah. Oh, this, uh, if I stumble onto your website and I didn't see your article in entrepreneur or Inc or Forbes, Mm. and I see this originally appeared on Inc. I'm going, huh, there's something to this person. I'm probably clicking on that to see what else you wrote for Inc. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that gives some of that natural these publications have vetted you. And so you get this natural boost in credibility because, oh, they thought you were, that you had perspectives that were important enough for them to share with their audience. Now I'm going to listen to you a little bit more than somebody who, all things being equal, if I don't know them and they haven't been vetted by a publication, that's, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the guy who's on Inc. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I'm curious, you know, Erica, at what point in the in the process they usually people usually come to you, and what is the sort of the main sort of challenge that you see people struggling with when they when you first talk to them? Tell us about that. Yeah, so really varies. Some people come to me when they've had a long career in corporate or for one of the larger consulting firms, and they've decided mm. to go out on their own, and they really want to make a name for themselves and they're not exactly sure how, but writing is something that they kind of, it tends to be a comfort area for the folks that I work with. Um, And they want to do more of that because they know that that name recognition will really help. For some folks, it's been more of a, they've had a particular practice, but they're pivoting it and are either changing the way they do service or they really kind of clarified in their own minds the process that they use and how what they do is different than other people in their industry. And they they have really formulated their own point of view and they want to get that out to a broader audience. So typically, it's a good question. <laughs> um, typically, it's one of those things that people have decided, the folks who come to me have decided, okay, I'm not sure how to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how to pick the right publication. Yeah, I'm not sure how to structure an article. Some folks have tried to get published and their pitches were declined. So now they want to see if they can structure them in a different way, if it's something that's still worth going after or if it's something that they should pass on. Other folks have never really tried this, but have basically been told, oh, you know, you really should get your name out there a little bit more. Some have already published a book. Others 
have a goal of writing a book, but typically it's for whatever reason, it's now time for me to step onto a bigger stage, get more visibility with a broader audience or a more targeted audience or a completely different audience than the one I was going after before. Mm. How can we do that? And that's typically where they're coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, uh, you know, thinking about it in terms of a, a potential strategy, if you're looking to pivot and go into like sort of a new area and attract a new different audience um, as, a, as a sort of go-to market strategy in a sense. Um, yeah, it kind of, it, you know, and depending on your goals, such a big part of the work I do is, mm-hmm. you know, people will come in and they'll say, I want to be in such and such publication. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you actually don't. It depends on what your actual business goals are. So a big part of it is also figuring out what are really the goals that you have for your business? Because knowing those will help you figure out which is the right publication to go after. Some of them have high visibility, high credibility, ink, entrepreneur, all of those, lots of sex appeal. That's an easy place for folks to go. But some of them are so targeted and niche that that, if your goal is to get more clients, that might be a better outlet. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll give a quick example, if I may. Um, one of my first clients was an environmental health and safety management consultant. So when we were talking about what his goals were, it was really getting more clients and getting getting bigger jobs from the clients they already had. In that case, for such a specialty, for such a niche work environment and job, we went with EHS Today, which is an industry trade journal. Mm. everybody in the field, no normal person reads this thing, but everyone in the field does. So he started writing for EHS today. And as he started doing that, his clients would see his article every single month. The organization that ran EHS today would reach out and say, hey, would you do a webinar? So it got him speaking engagements. His clients saw it. One of his largest clients elevated his firm from one of many consulting firms to the lead consultant on the project. Hmm. So depending on what your goals are, that'll really help you figure out which is the right publication to actually help you reach those goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it sounds like there's probably a process of of kind of uncovering what the underlying motivations are. And it makes me think of this line. I don't know if you've you've, uh, watched any of um, the... uh, there's a series that documents like the rise and fall of WeWork, uh, the co-working oh, space. No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, there's this one line in it, and it's basically this sort of power couple. You know, Adam Newman, you know, the extravagant founder, and his wife, uh, who sort of brings a lot of woo-woo, uh, kind of touchy-feely stuff to the company, um, and you know, basically like comes up with their you know mission, which is quite flowery. But at one point, someone interviews her and says, "What's your you know, what's your ambition? She says, uh, I want to be on Vanity Fair. <laughs> that's like the line, I want to be in Vanity Fair. And you're thinking like, that's not really, like, that's not really a goal. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but sometimes the goal is, I have an annoying brother-in-law who is here every Thanksgiving and I just want to shut him up and show him up. And 
hey, yeah. fuck on. If getting an article, you know, getting a column with Inc. or Harvard Business Review is going to shut up your brother-in-law and give you a little sense of pride about it. Okay. I wouldn't recommend that as your top goal, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever gets you motivated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny. Um, I, I think it's also interesting how uh it used to be the case, right, where there were these sort of contributor networks that these bigger publications had, which no longer exist as well, right? So it's it's not as straightforward as it used to be in terms of just saying, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I think I want to be in Huffington Post. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, like, as you've seen that ev- evolution, like, is it, do you, are you finding it increasingly harder for people to, you know, become part of that? you know, group of people who get published online and, and is there anything that you see in the, like any sort of future? Yeah. I'm just wondering if you, if you have a crystal ball, if there are any kind of predictions you can give us or, or kind of insider knowledge that you might have for us in terms of where. Yeah. The one big thing is this industry changes so quickly, especially now that it is wedded to the online world. Mm. I could make a bunch of predictions and a bunch of them would be wrong and a bunch of them (laughs) the most wild prediction i could make would probably end up turning out right um (laughs) the one that's least feasible so i think what i would say because that's that's not a useful answer (laughs) so i think what i would say is it's not getting harder it is getting different Mm. and when Companies first, when these big media companies first came online, there was a bit of a panic mode. And it was sort of like, let's get, we need content, we need content, we need content. We don't need content. The world does not need more content. We do not need more noise. We've all read an article that had a very promising headline. And then you're like, I just wasted five minutes of my life reading this utter garbage. We don't need more of that. But we got a ton of it at first. And a Mm. lot of publications had to self-correct and figure out, oh, we can't just open the doors. Open the floodgates. Because people will come in and and they're abusing it. They're not providing helpful and useful information. They're marketing their stuff and saying, please sell, please buy my stuff. Hey, I got a pen. You want a pen? I like buy my thing. And that's not helpful. But that was sort of what happened with a lot of these publications initially, if if they opened the doors too widely, you got a bunch of junk Mm. and that hurt their own brand. So then you've had, you've seen publications make this turn where some have a pay to play model. Forbes was probably the first publication to go pay to play. They have the Forbes councils. So they've added some value around that. So it's not just you're paying in order to publish, but that is one of the perks of being a member of the Forbes Council. Then they have other things around that that include networking, that include um, getting to know other people in the council so that there's some real value there. But Forbes had to really figure out how do we do this in such a way that we can invite people in, but we can maintain the quality control that we need so that it doesn't hurt our brand. So that's been a huge thing. So It's not that it's more difficult to get in. It's that you need to actually be thoughtful and there is more quality control. And for consultants and knowledge workers, that's the best news ever. 
So mm-hmm. consultants and knowledge workers, you have you we have all of this knowledge that we carry with us. We are solving problems for our clients on a day-to-day basis. We have information that is valuable. So the more we can get that out there, you know, that just you you immediately have a step up from some other companies especially if their marketing department, I love marketers, I used to be one, but especially if their marketing department is in charge of this stuff, they're more about the call to action than about being of service. And what these publications want is they want to know, do you have something that will be helpful for our readers, that our readers will read and appreciate and learn from? Yes or no? That's all they want to know. Um, And if you do, great. Let's see if we can make something happen here yeah in essence it's like a a partnership really because by doing that you're also that also reflects their brand as well in a sense you know yeah if someone reads a good article and uh you know wherever it may be they'll be like oh okay yeah i I like this publication i think i'll read more stuff from it you know harvard business review or whatever it may be really yeah yeah and as soon as you read something and it's not up to snuff Mm. it goes the other way yeah. And you go, oh, my God, these guys are really slipping. Yeah. And these publications don't, they they have a brand just like we do. We all have our own brand. All of these publications have a brand. They want to maintain their brand standards and maintain that credibility because the truth is, sure, the articles that are longer and more in-depth tend to be written by their staff and their freelancers and tend to go into the print publication but it's the online world that gets the subscribers to that print publication who then end up reading those articles. So you've got to have good quality stuff at the start for this to work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so, so for someone who maybe is in a sort of position where they've, you know, they've, they've been building their practice for some time and, you know, they've got a couple of thoughts that they'd love to, you know, put out there, they, they're kind of a bit tired of being the world's uh, best kept secret. And they want to start thinking about seriously, uh, you know, writing for online publications. Are there any good first steps people can take or, or good starting points that you would recommend for people? Yeah. So first, because you'll need to do this, you'll need to have this once you pitch, mm. make sure you're already writing and getting your ideas out there. So having a blog can help. If you don't have a blog, you can have, now it's a newsletter on LinkedIn. Wait five minutes, that might change. But you can publish an article that becomes a newsletter on LinkedIn. You can publish on Medium. So you can start getting some written material out there. There's this great quote, Robert Mankoff. He was the cartoon editor of The New Yorker for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's not about the ink. It's the think. That's the exact same thing with writing. Like the ink on the page, irrelevant. That's not the important part. It's the think that you're doing to get the right ink, you know, the right words on the page that really matters. So taking that time to be thinking creatively, figuring out, okay, what are maybe coming up with six ideas for articles that you might want to write? thinking through really what are your goals for this? What do you like? Why do you want to publish? Okay. We know you want more visibility. 
okay, are there other things that you're also hoping to get? Is one of your goals to be able to interview other experts in your field or to interview your clients so that you can profile them and highlight them? If so, knowing that in advance is critically important because some publications let you do that, some don't. So getting that sense first, and then some of it is, all right, as you've kind of figured out what are the publications that might be a good fit, study those publications, find their guidelines, review their contributor guidelines. Not all of them have it because we wouldn't want to make it too easy for you. Um, But reviewing those guidelines gives you a sense of what it is that they're looking for. Studying the publication itself gives you a sense for how do they structure headlines? How do they structure articles? Do you like the headlines that they are using? Because certain publications I would not write for because their headlines make me crazy. (laughs) So does it resonate with you? Does it also reflect your brand? Mm. Um, Another great starting place, especially for consultants, is what are the associations that your clients are members of? Do they need a regular contributing writer? That can be a great place to get published, get in front of your exact right audience, and then you can ladder up so you can use that, oh, I've written articles for such and such publication. You can use that as a credibility builder when you pitch some of these other publications that are sort of more competitive and and higher level to get into and better known. So those are sort of a couple of my very scattered ideas. Yeah, and um, and and you you um, you remind me of of one of the things that you spoke to us in during uh, one of your monthly calls, which I highly recommend people joining, uh, which was around where you talked about this sort of staircase approach, where some people they'll they'll kind of break things into tiers, right? So you've got your kind of lower level publications, and you use that as a stepping stone, a credibility builder to then pitch the next ones, the next ones. But then at the same time, remember you also saying at the same time that you can also just ignore that if you like, and just go for the very top publications, because sometimes people use that as an excuse to prevent them from really going for, you know, the top, the top guns really, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing. The, the more you know where you're focused on, once you have a publication and you've chosen that publication based on the goals that you have for your business, so it can actually help you reach those goals, mm. not based on, this sounds good, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> then yes, go for it. You don't, you don't need to wait. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. They turn you down and yeah. you go for it again in three months after you've written a couple of articles someplace else yeah. or after you've just refined the article that you're pitching to them. The the weird thing about pitching, pitching is tough because sometimes it goes into a black hole and you never hear anything back. Sometimes you get rejected and they may or may not tell you why you got rejected. Sometimes you get rejected and you get a nice little note about why. And that like, if an editor has taken time to say anything to you other than no, thank you, that's great. That's like the best rejection ever, because Hmm. that means they saw something that could be worthwhile. Hmm. So it might be that you need to go back to the publication and do a little bit more research. One of the things I always encourage my clients to do is once you know which publication it is and what your topic is that you're going to be writing about, 
read the last three years worth of articles on that topic. Because if they've already covered something that you're thinking of covering, you need to come at it with a different angle. You need to be adding to that conversation. There's a conversation on these media outlets that's already happening. You want to add to it, not repeat it, because they don't care if you're just repeating something that's already there. It's been covered. So making sure that you're really adding to it or taking issue with something can also be very helpful. A good contrarian article gets attention. Yeah. This is great, you know, because I've been thinking about it. You know, this is something that I talk to um, people when they're considering uh, pitching themselves as a guest on other podcasts. And a thing that often people do is they, they, they might take a spray and pray approach. They might say, oh, you know, this is what I'm, I'm good at. This is what I know. It fits the podcast theme. This is what they talk about. But they don't go any deeper than that. They don't look at, well, are there any sub-themes or are there things that the, you know, the hosts keep talking about or they keep coming back to that you can offer a unique perspective or angle? Maybe that's contrarian, uh, but something that adds to the conversation that's actually you know, you're showing that awareness as well. And so interesting to kind of hear it as well. And it's a similar context, isn't it? Because of the, of the, very similar. Yeah. So yeah, very, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Anytime you're pitching, whether you're pitching a podcast or a mm. publication, tailor your pitch, Yeah. <laughs> show them, don't tell them, Oh, I think your podcast is great. Yeah. That's lovely, but who cares? Show them that you are familiar with the podcast. Show them that you are familiar with the publication. You know, show them where is the gap in the conversation. Oh, you're already having this gap about leadership, but you're not talking about how A hits B. That's the thing I'd like to talk about. Great. As an editor, because I I I work as a freelance editor and I sit all of us have to rotate on the slush pile, the Mm. stuff that comes in over the transom, all of the pitches that we have to read. Even if I am in the best mood ever, my goal, I have to get through 100 to 250 pitches in a day and narrow it down to 10. My goal is to get rid of the pitch. My goal is to find a reason to say no. Mm -hmm. Don't give me that reason, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if it's something, if you're starting with a whole bunch of fluffy stuff at the top, like you're already out because I don't have time to read through all of the fluff. I want you to get to the point. I want you to like show me that you know what you're talking about and show me that you understand our readership so that I know, okay, good. You know, similar with a podcast, show, you know, show these podcast hosts that you know what you're talking about, that you know who their audience is, that you know how to appeal to their audience, that you know that you have something valuable to offer them because that's what we're all looking for. And yes, with podcast hosts, you can be a little bit friendlier than with an editor, but that's a different difference in context. Jonathan, this is your podcast. This is your baby the publications I edit for, they're not my baby. <laughs> I'm just paid to be an editor. Yeah. So I have a very different perspective. I don't care for like the glowing, oh, I've read it for 10 years. Yeah. I don't care. Um, <laughs> whereas a podcast host might be like, wow, that's cool. 
So there are ways to also build relationships with editors, with podcast hosts. I would say that are real. Yeah, I would say that I kind of have a similar reaction to you because everybody says the same thing. Oh, I love your podcast. Like, yeah, but do you really? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite easy to see through. Some people, though, the way they phrase it and the way they they do it is is quite clever, though, I think. Yeah. Yeah, And if you can, and that comes down to the old adage, show, don't tell. Yeah. So if you tell somebody, oh, I love your podcast, then show them. What Mm -hmm. is it about the podcast that you like? Maybe mention an episode, maybe, you know, say something that makes it clear that you're not full of malarkey. Yeah. Because... (laughs) I can say I love your podcast to Joe Schmo when I've never listened to his podcast and he can be like, I don't even have a podcast. So don't, (laughs) we get, you know, in the positions that we're in me as an editor, you as a podcast host, we get so many pitches Mm -hmm. that it is easy to see who took the time and who didn't. And if you didn't take the time to research this particular publication or podcast, I much prefer the person who has taken the time, has listened to a few episodes, has read a bunch of articles, understands what it is that we're looking for. I'll go for them every single day of the week. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, probably a, a one good way of thinking about it is uh, if you were to pitch your favorite publication or show, like because you are a consumer, you empathize with the audience, you know what they want to hear, you know what you want to hear, and then basically use that as a template for your other pitches as well. So you, so you think to yourself, okay, well, how can I take some of those elements, the fact that I'm actually thinking, I'm aware of what people want to listen to and so forth and apply that to my other, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's the biggest thing is just tailor your pitch and be real. Because as soon as soon as soon as it's gotten to the which is why I don't recommend bulk pitching mm. because you will, you will burn yourself out. You will get to the point that you're just sending stuff out that is completely irrelevant. And that's when you're going to make mistakes as well, where all of a sudden it's dear genie. And it's like, Ooh, that's Jonathan. <laughs> you get my, you, you get a name of an editor wrong. I will tell you right now, there is no way that they, I, they it doesn't matter how great your pitch is. You're, you're done. They didn't read past the name. Hmm. So keeping that in mind too is is put yourself in the in the shoes of an editor. You have a hundred to two hundred and fifty pitches to go through and narrow down to ten. You spilled coffee all over yourself this morning. You got up on the wrong side of the bed. Your kid is screaming bloody murder and had to stay home from school. Like paint a picture of somebody having a really crummy day and they have to go through all of this. Mm. So it really isn't personal as snarky as I sound because I can be, um, it really isn't personal. It's really about, okay, my job is to narrow this down to 10 contributors who are going to be really great for our audience. My job as the editor is to have my audience's hat on and look at it from their perspective. Is this person going to add something that's valuable and helpful for them or not? Secondarily, which is not talked about as much, I have my editor hat on. Is this person going to be a pain in the butt to work with or not? And that 
definitely comes into <laughs> to the evaluation criteria. Yeah. If it's going to take forever for me to be able to wrestle your article into the shape it needs to be in for the publication, you're not going to get the gig. If you're all over the map in terms of your ideas and I don't know what you stand for, you're definitely not getting the gig. So that that's the other important thing. What is it that you want to be known for get super duper super duper super super duper clear Mm -hmm. on that and then stay narrow and go deep because everything is connected and you will not run out of ideas you will not run out of things to say there's always a deeper level yeah 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 i love that and uh yeah it's very interesting to to hear about all those red flags that you know editors are looking out for. And Erica, I'd love for, for you to also tell, um, as I mentioned before, I've joined one of your, your monthly calls and, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, but there's a lot that I to say about it and, you know, uh, but I would love for you to just kind of introduce it and, and, and tell people what they can expect. Yeah. Um, so I host, it's called pitch to published and it's a free Q and a session on the second Wednesday of every month. I always start with sort of a little context shaping. So a little sharing of resources or ideas, teaching around a very specific topic. And then I open the floor up to questions. So it can go anywhere. Um, <laughs> and that's cool. That's, um, that's the part that's really fun for me is seeing where it goes. Other people in the room, there are often writers who join with me. Sometimes an editor will join. But we have a, a great conversation that helps answer whatever questions the folks in the room actually have. These are quite purposefully not recorded, in part because I am extremely opinionated. So sometimes it is to protect myself because I was born with a faulty 10-second delay mechanism and don't always have a very good filter. <laughs> Other times it's to make sure that... The people who are in the room are getting 100% of the full attention um, of me and any guests that I that I bring on. So it's a lot of fun. It's often a bit of a fire hose, but anybody is welcome. These are held on Zoom. I do have a registration link, which Jonathan will have in the show notes. And, you know, it's on my website, catchlinecommunications.com. And that's a great place to kind of poke around and see what it is that I do. But also that's where you can register to come to Pitch to Published. And it's it started as an experiment. I didn't know if I would keep doing it or not. My requirements when I first started it was I would continue to do it as long as people found it valuable and I found it fun. Yeah. And I find it mad fun. So yeah. this will be going on for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. I love the format because it's just, uh, it's not, it's not a webinar. It's not some long monologue. It's not something where you just sit down. It's very interactive. It's informal. Yeah. So I, I can't say enough good things about it. You know, highly recommend. Well, thank you. I, I yeah. loved having you in the room on occasion. And you know, that's the other nice thing because it's the second Wednesday of every single month. You can come when you can. And if you can't come, no worries. We're going to do another one next month. Just, just show up if it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Great. So Eric, as we, as we um, sort of come to an end here and, and wrap things up, I'd love for you to also just tell people how they can connect with you online. You've mentioned your website. Is there anywhere else uh, people can find you? Yeah, the website is obviously the core home. I am also LinkedIn is my one and only social media outlet. So I am fairly active there. So that's another great place to connect. And if you do connect, feel free to say that you first heard me on Jonathan's show, because that's always such a fun connection when we make when we make those different types of connections. That is always a great thing. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, um, you know, hearing more about what you're up to in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks for listening. This show is brought to you by Spotlight Podcasting, which is an agency I run where we help consultants launch podcasts that align with their business goals. Now, how do we do that? You might wonder. Basically, we simplify the whole process by setting you up with interviews between you and your ideal prospects, as well as strategic partners. And then we handle all the rest for you. So that means the tech setup, audio editing, show notes, production, distribution, all that stuff. You won't have to worry about it. So if you're ready to launch a podcast that will take you minimal time to run, you can find us at spotlightpodcasting.com.